0: To have the entire industry shut down um, and everybody out of work. Yeah. Um, And most of them not taken care of very well um, through that whole unemployment process. A lot of people bailed. They just said, hey, man, this is not, this isn't a safe industry or safe career for me. Yes. Um, And so we lost a huge portion um, of our workforce that way. You know, I'm completely inspired
1: by the different innovations that happen in our industry, and I'm super excited to introduce you to this week's guest a chef and partner in a very dynamic restaurant group that's making a huge difference with their approaches to the labor challenge. Now, you're going to want to stick around because they have a new program that it's called Tip the Kitchen. So first of all, obviously, there's been a disparity for years in our industry between front of house, back of house, but now the kitchen is being tipped as well. But it goes so far beyond that. This is an innovative program that Literally other restaurant groups are reaching out to this company to find out what they're doing and how they're doing it and they are 100% staffed in their restaurants during this labor challenge. So, stick around, you're not going to want to miss this episode.
0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstar's podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin.
1: Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop menu answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com rockstars. Listen, I'm all about marketing, but believe me, Very few marketing ideas today are fully trackable, where you know exactly where the business is coming from, and you also know that it's generating a positive return on your investment. Now, I no longer own restaurants, but if I did, this idea would be at the very top of my marketing plan. It's all about birthdays. Everyone has a birthday, and they are a huge, let me repeat that, huge source of business in your restaurant. Why wouldn't you want to focus in on reaching everyone with a birthday in your area? Well, you can with The Birthday Club from FanConnect. Best part is they do everything for you. You get a turnkey marketing system that sends birthday cards in advance, inviting people to celebrate at your restaurant from your area code, plus a sign-up strategy for your existing customers. New business, repeat business, higher check averages, and a massive customer database. You can get all this with The Birthday Club. Check it out and sign up now at... GetFanConnect.com forward slash birthday rockstar. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. With me today is chef and partner Jamie Lynch of the Fifth Street Group, which is seven concepts in Charlotte, Charleston, Nashville, and soon to be Denver, Colorado. How are you today, Jamie? I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks so much for being on this show, man. I think it's I think it's awesome that you're here. And I really enjoy speaking with chefs cuz you guys are really the heart of what we call the heart of the house. So I think it's really an interesting perspective to hear all about things from the back of house perspective. But you're also a partner in this business. So you have operational control. You make decisions. So we're going to get into all this. And we'll talk about your concepts, of course. But as my audience knows, I always like to start with the backstory of my guests. So take us back as far as you you know care to go.
0: All right. Well, you know, I don't have that, um, you know, that. Culinary journey that a lot of chefs have where you know, uh, my grandmother was, you know, you know had the whole family around the kitchen kind of thing That wasn't really my experience. Um, I fell into restaurants um, As my first job, I was 16 years old um, kind of a punk rocker um, Hardcore kid getting into trouble, you know, that kind of thing Um, that was that was my story Um, and I started at a local bar and grill in Marblehead, Massachusetts this little like lobster town on the north shore of boston and um, it was this seedy little bar you know the locals bar
1: i may have been uh, in that bar jamie because i've got yeah. a good friend that that's been in marblehead a real long time and I've oh been really there, i've been there many times are we talking about the downtown sort of harbor area
0: yeah no so it's not uh it's not the sail loft or maddie's that's the that's yes yeah. that's re- i've
1: been i've been to both of those places so yeah. well anyway keep telling us yeah. your story i'm familiar yeah, so with marblehead. This was called
0: the, this is called the School Street Grill. Um, I mm-hmm. started as a dishwasher there, yep. and um, I fell in love with the you know high octane, you know adrenaline rush of the kitchen. That was my fix. Yeah, um, I get it. Um, so, so that's what kind of got the hooks in me. Um, you know, the the what I remember the line cook there. You know, was this guy who used to like make uh you know magic mushroom milkshakes you know before the shift and start tripping out and like cooking these burgers i was like this guy's nuts i can't believe you can do this in a job Um, so anyways that was the thing that got me hooked on the restaurant business Um, you know i did that for years started uh you know prep cooking and fry cooking and stuff like that really the real you know kind of nuts and bolts of the kitchen stuff Later, I moved to um, New Hampshire. I was working at this um, from scratch. This is probably after high school, 18 years old, so a few years later. Um, I started cooking for a chef um, who at a from scratch Mexican restaurant in New Hampshire. And he started teaching me kind of like about, you know, marrying flavors and some technique stuff. And, um, and at that point, realized that I had a natural talent um, for cooking in the kitchen life. He really pushed me to go to culinary school. I decided that if I was going to have any chance at some sort of successful life, I better, I better try to find a career. So, um, so I followed his advice. I ended up going to school at Necky in, um, in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. I'm familiar with that school. Yeah. New England, um, culinary Institute. It's no longer um, there, but great, great culinary school seven-to-one teacher ratio, um, very hands-on and like, um, you know, mentor-styled teaching, which I I really did well in, Um, and I excelled there. When I, as part of that program, I had to do two internships. My first internship I did in um, San Francisco under Michael Mina um, at Aqua Restaurant, and that just blew my hair back. Walking into that kitchen, Um, You know Michael was there every night Uh, people that don't know Michael's probably one of the most successful American chefs um, in the country He's a he's a rock star Um, But uh, working in his kitchen was my first experience in an upscale fine dining Situation Um, and I and I loved it Kind of those guys kind of took me under the wing started really teaching me about um, upscale kitchen kind of operations and cooking at that point I realized that people really craved um, this type of food, these types of experiences, and that, um, that I excelled at it. Being kind of a fringe outsider, you know, not very sociable person, <laughs> I, mean, I was the kind of kid that was always fighting with people and all that kind of stuff. I realized that through food uh, was a way that I could connect with people in a nurturing way without having to be too close. I could still be behind the curtain, um, you know, uh, taking care of people, showing them hospitality without it having to be this kind of close connectivity. And that, that to me really was appealing. And I, uh, and I went all in. I went all in on cooking. Um, from that point, I went back to school, finished up my degree in culinary, and went to New York City. Um, I figured if I was going to excel at this, Um, You know, I had to learn from the best. So uh, I I moved to New York. This was probably 1996, I think. And I worked at um, Le Cirque 2000 in the Palace Hotel. Yep. Famous name Uh,
1: there, for sure. Yeah,
0: that was, you know, I went from Michael Mina, which was like my, you know, that's what... (laughs) broke the shell for me and then going to Le Cirque was like a legendary Mm -hmm. um, situation. I mean, Ciro Maccioni used to come down the line um, during pre-shift and like, you know, pick at your mise en place and and, and thank everybody for being there. I mean, it was magical to be under somebody. That is so cool. And yeah. and celebrities back then too, right? A big oh, celebrity
1: yeah. restaurant. Lots of famous people would come in. You were cooking for them. Um, I'm sure totally. accolades followed. But keep going. I don't want to interrupt your story. This is great.
0: Yeah, um, so, yeah. Ton, tons of celebrities. I remember Whoopi Goldberg was one of the ones that we used to <laughs> used to come in all the time. And regular, um, a total regular, <laughs> and um, it, we would get. You know we we would we get the the server would come in when she sat down and said, "Hey, Whoopi's here." and we knew what that meant. That meant she was ordering off menu every time. roasted chicken, right We didn't, we didn't have it on the on the menu with um I think it was carrot puree or something. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was the vegetable cook there. so like every every garnish or vegetable that went with um with with the main course was my responsibility. So at that point, I had to scramble off the line and like find these carrots. Usually they would come from like, you know, the veal stock, <laughs> and we would make this carrot puree for her. Anyways, so, um, you know, that was an amazing experience. I was there for about a year. Um, I worked under Andrew Carmelini. He was um, he was the sous chef there at the time, one of the sous chefs. Um, and I worked kind of on his part of the brigade there under him. And um, we, you know, he kind of started this mentorship kind of relationship with me. He really... Um, took it, took me under his wing, you know, broke me down and kind of built me back up as a cook. Um, he was offered the job as the chef de cuisine at Danielle Belude's new restaurant, Cafe Baloud. at the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so that was in, yeah, the old Danielle when he moved, yeah. reopened Danielle and turned the original into Cafe Baloud. Andrew went and it was the CDC there. Um, I desperately wanted to join that team. Unfortunately, most of the cooks from Le Cirque moved over with him, as they kind of do in New York. You know, they kind of travel in bands like a little pirate <laughs> yes, enclave. Yes, yes. yes. And um, wow. and there was not room for me on that team at the time. So I went to work for Charlie Palmer, another legend in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved yes. up very quickly through the ranks of his kitchen to the rank of Saucier. So I was kind of a lead Line cook at that, that point um, when I got the call from Andrew. And Andrew said, Hey, you know, they called me Monkey back in the day. That was my nickname because of the shaved head and the big ears. So he's like, Hey, Monkey, I got a spot for you. Um, you want to join the team at Cafe Ballude. What's the job, Andrew? Veg guy. So I was like, Ah, oh, man, I'm going, you know, two steps back. Um, I would not let that opportunity pass me up. So I, I jumped on it. Moved over and ended up working on that team for a few years. Well, you're traveling um, in rock star
1: restaurant circles here because we're talking yeah. celebrity chefs, big name people, and the teams that they support. And like you said, it's like sometimes whole teams will move to a new situation because that is the established rock star dream team, you know, and you're part of this in multiple situations. I mean, that is completely inspiring to young chefs listening to this episode right now, just letting you know that with or without a formal education, your skill set, your motivation, your desire can take you to the ultimate pinnacle of this business and you can work for some all around the world, anywhere with some really amazing people. And you're a testament to that. So I'm loving this story so far. Keep going.
0: Yeah, Yeah, 100%. So so of course, I I worked with Andrew for about, I think, two years there. Um, Everywhere through the kitchen from, I started as the um, veg guy, the entremetier. Yes. Worked my way up to Saucier. Of course, it didn't take long. I'd already been through the program with them. It was just a matter of, um, you know, positions opening up. Um, and then moving up into those positions mm-hmm. um, till I reached the position of Tornant, which is, um, you know, that's the the round chef. You can do anything. You're kind of like, you know, you're 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 wherever they need you. You're there. Um, I did that for a little while. And it was clear to me that there was no sous chef gigs happening in that team. It's just it's not a, it's not a position unless somebody dies. Gotcha. <laughs> you're just waiting, you know, yeah. waiting in the wings. Yeah. So you got to uh, keep moving. Yeah. So, so I did that and an opportunity opened up at a restaurant called Tocqueville on 15th street, um, right off the union square market, um, for a sous chef, little 40 seat restaurant, um, husband and wife owner team. It was an awesome opportunity for me. So I took it. Um, I learned a ton from Marco. Marco Morero was the, uh, the chef there. They still have a restaurant. I think they moved it to the corner. Um, uh, But anyways, um, much bigger location. I learned a ton about shopping from the market, uh, cooking features daily, how to approach food in a more kind of like real simple ingredient driven fashion. Um, And I was there for about nine months when um, 9-11 happened. And that was just a huge. So you were right there in the middle of that whole thing. Yeah, I was actually oh in the God. shower getting ready to go to work when when everything happened. Yeah, um, I actually got I got out of the shower and, and, you know, saw the whole second plane situation. It was like, what That's the crazy, hell is crazy,
1: crazy, yeah. crazy. So you literally were very close by and just the aftermath of that for so long, how it affected anyone who lived or anyone connected to any of those people and the city itself. What an experience. I can only yeah.
0: imagine what that was like, but again,
1: keep going. This is awesome. Yeah, it was it
0: was crazy, man. Yep. I, it, the the city flipped on its head. I mean, it was it was really depressing to be there. Um, we ended up um, we ended up cooking for rescue workers. We were about four Beautiful. blocks from Ground Zero. Wow. Ground Zero started at Eleventh Street. Yeah. Um, and so we would just go into the restaurant, batch out as much you know stuff in hotel pans as we could, and just take it down and hand it off. Beautiful. Um, yeah, we did that for about two months and I just, I had to go. I mean, it was the only thing that was happening in New York that I could tell where the bars were packed. <laughs> like everybody was just, doesn't that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was mm. terrifying and, um, and wow. depressing and, yep. and there was really no, no clear vision as to like how long things would take and, you know, yeah, all it's that. like kind of the and,
1: pandemic. It's like before the pandemic, this wasn't, international tragedy that literally there were no answers and it was yeah. every single day was something new. And it's like, yeah, I can only imagine you had no idea what the future was, was for your situation and that
0: restaurant and even New York city really. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, huh. so at that point, I think it was about February. sorry it was February of 2002 that I, I think that's right. I, um, I decided just to get out. I threw as much stuff as I could into my um, Chevy Caprice classic. And, uh, and I I had it parked in Astoria, Queens. I never drove it in the city for anybody who's been to New York and and never drove it. Just sat there. It was a storage unit. (laughs) I had to move it every couple of days uh, for, for the, you know, street cleaning. But um, I threw everything I could in there, my knives and everything. And I drove down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a friend, Who grew up in um gastonia we went to culinary school together in in vermont um you know he was kind of making moves in the um charlotte scene and uh said hey man let's let's do a restaurant together come down here and let's just figure it out so i literally drove down kept my stuff in the car and slept on his couch for for a while until uh you know he got engaged and moved out of the house that we he was renting and i took it over so um that was that was my move to charlotte Craziest thing about that is when I got to Charlotte, I had my resume ready to go, and I pounded the streets. I, I you know tried to figure out who, who are the best restaurants in town, who are the best chefs to work for. Um, and this was just a completely different landscape than what I was used to. There was maybe there was maybe five chefs at that time um, that were doing like a chef driven restaurant. Everything else was, uh, else was corporate steakhouses. Um, chain restaurants, things like that. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I went around with my resume, dropped them off to these people, asked to talk to the chefs and, and I just got shut down. Like I couldn't believe it. Nobody would hire me
1: with your kind of experience, huh?
0: That's what I, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, what are you guys thinking? Yeah. (laughs) What's going on? So, um, anyways, I, I, one chef ended up hiring me, um, Mark Martin. He was, uh, he was, um, an alum from my, my school had his own little neighborhood, American bistro, um, you know, saw that I went to Neki and was like, all right, come on. looks like you work for some cool guys. Come, come work for me. So I ended up working with him and that was great. He gave me a shot. Um, you know, it was me, him, I think, and one other cook in the kitchen. So, you know, I use the term sous chef, but we were really all cooks and dishwashers and and prep cooks. Um, but that kind of got my foot in the door. Um, he used all local ingredients. He actually had farmers come to the restaurant and drop off um, orders and stuff. And that's where I met um, Sammy Coingsburg. Sammy is a farmer, organic farmer in, in Charlotte. Started kind of the um, slow food um, movement in Charlotte. The, the farmer's market there. He was kind of influential in that whole movement in the Charlotte area. Um, and this guy blew my mind working for some of these great chefs all over, all over the place, like these, you know, epic, um, you know, chefs at the pinnacle of, of culinary, we had all the best ingredients. I mean, they came from all over the world. We could get anything we wanted because people would pay for it. But meeting Sammy flipped a switch for me where, um, you know, we were using products that literally were being grown 20 miles up the road. Um, and this stuff was beautiful. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous, produce, um, chickens that he, that he raised on his farm, um, that were just, you know, very well taken care of everything organic. Um, so I started going out to his farm and, um, on the week, when I was off and just kind of learning about the process and what was going on there. Um, and that really changed my um, approach to food, which has always been very technique driven based on my background, but, um, but it, it, if it, it, It changed my perspective to the ingredients and how to honor these ingredients in a way where you don't have to um, you don't have to use these magical um, techniques to make this beautiful stuff happen on a plate. If you use the best stuff that you can get and the freshest, most um, most healthy and nutritious foods, they'll do they'll do the artistry for you, that kind of thing. Um, so anyways, that, that was kind of a seed that kind of happened that feeds into my later story. Um, uh, at that point, um, I was working around Charlotte a little bit. Um, I ended up getting offered a job as a chef to cuisine um, under Bruce Moffitt at a restaurant called Barrington's. This was a small 40-seat restaurant. It kind of mirrored Tocqueville a little bit. So I was very interested in that because I had just kind of come from a, that kind of situation. Bruce hired me as the chef de cuisine. He was uh, expanding his operation, opening another restaurant, so he needed to kind of focus on that. Um, and I got the opportunity to kind of come in there and really start to stretch my own um, culinary wings, you know, explore my, my cooking voice a little bit and see what that was gonna be. Um, and he was, he was great about, um, you know, letting me lead the team. He taught me a lot about running a business, a small business, um, how to, you know, price uh, your proteins and work with purveyors and and all that kind of stuff, which I'd never done before. So it was a great experience. Um, I worked with Bruce for, I think, three years uh, on, you know, gaining this kind of knowledge and, and um, you know, kind of building my name in the community and, and getting, you know, um, you know, my brand out there, like the, my kind of cooking. When um, Patrick Whalen and Alejandro Torrio, my business partners now, Uh, kind of reached out to me through um, our other business partner, Mills, uh, who I knew from the neighborhood. He was kind of the the designer. Um, I kind of knew him from the bars and hanging out and kind of late night situation. Um, And they kind of reached out and said, Hey man, would you uh," actually, I think he was going to buy my motorcycle. That's, that's how it all started. I had a Ducati and he was like, Hey, you got that sweet bike. I'm into buying bikes. You want to talk? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that bike. That's um awesome, but yeah. But you know, I was hard up for some cash. And uh, okay. uh um I had a newborn at that point. And um I was like, Yeah, I need to sell my bike. So we got to talking and uh he hit me up and said, Hey, look, you know, me and these guys are thinking about starting our own thing. Mm-hmm. Um and the thing that they were starting ended up being five church. But the premise of everything that really sold me on leaving uh, Barringtons and in, in you know, teaming up with these guys was was everybody's background was a little bit different. Everybody had an expertise in hospitality um, that the others didn't. You know, obviously, mine was cooking in back of the house. Um, Patrick had um, a lot of bartending experience, in front of the house experience, as well as um, a really good brain for numbers and business, uh, which I had none of. Um, Alejandro uh, is what he was a club promoter from New York and um, really understood marketing and brand development and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Get, getting like a, a, a real buzz around um, an entity or, or a project. And, um, and Mills obviously had a really creative designing side. The premise was, why not us? Right. We're here, we're out here running these businesses and restaurants for people, making them tons of money, making them successful and with none of the glory, right? None of the, we're not at the front of, of any of these projects. And, um, why not us? You know, we got the skills to do this. And, um, so we, we got together and, um, decided we were going to do it. And Five Church was the, uh, the, the brainchild of that. I mean, that kind of started our road um to opening you know we'll have seven restaurants by the end of next year you know that is an amazing story and so many things
1: come to mind we talked about the importance of say business and financial skills not just having strong culinary talent we talked about partnering and for like i said young chefs this is such an aspirational episode because again the inspiration and the things you're telling us in the story is inspiring people on what is possible And one of the pitfalls of being a restaurant owner, as our audience knows, and as you know, is people come and go and it's a high turnover business. And a a lot of restaurants' reputations are built and live and die on the chef in the kitchen, right? And all of a sudden, they get a better offer or something happens and they give notice. And it's like, okay, now I got to rebuild an operation, find someone with equal, if not greater, talent, and then rebuild. Or at least, you know, damage control to my regulars that have come to expect that style, that cuisine, that quality, all that sort of, it's such a problem. And I I Mm -hmm. speak from a restaurant owner's perspective because over 20 plus years, I hired and employed many chefs and people come and go. And I've had these challenges. So. Becoming a partner is a way that a restaurant, if they recognize talent in someone and future potential, it's to secure the reputation and the long-term success of an operation. And that's the story you're telling right now. It's like you pay your dues on the street in numerous experiences. You learn skills from every place you work, and now you brought your best talents to bear on this opportunity that is now growing. And so- You know, it's two sides of that coin, you know, looking at it from the chef who's got inspiration and aspiration and ambition that wants to, you know, I think a lot of chefs um, want to put their name on the door of a place. They do. But in order to do that, again, you have to have more than just the culinary skills. I think you need to bring the whole skill set to bear because this is, after all, a financial business with with shrinking margins today. Like, it's horrible you know, with rising costs and labor issues and supply chains and all that kind of stuff. So your journey is a really uh, amazing one. And it's very (laughs) exciting. I love that story. I think that was fantastic. So what about cooking influences? What types of cuisine do you cook when you're not even working? And do you even, I mean, do you love to cook when you're not literally working? Do you cook for your family uh, or do you just wish that, someone else takes over the cooking because I do enough of it, but what are your inspirations and what types of cuisines do you um,
0: appreciate the most? Good question. So um, I I do love to cook. Um, I I am actually just getting back into cooking at home more regularly. Now that I have, you know, I can't be in the kitchen every night the way that I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not running the shifts the way um, my chefs are now. I have an awesome team of chefs working um, with me throughout our entire operation. Um, so I do actually have the opportunity to cook at home a little bit more now, which is great because my cooking has totally changed. Um, and the, from what I used to cook, mm-hmm. which was frozen pizza and, um, you know, boxed macaroni and cheese when I got home. Now I'm actually cooking at home. Um, I'm actually, you know, going through processes and stuff. Um, as far as inspirations, um, cultures are what inspire me. Um, I, you know, I'm classically French trained um, by my, you know, my pedigree obviously I've <laughs> like yeah, that's my right, my right. roots and 100%. your experiences too yeah yeah and i'm pretty interests. old school like I'm, I'm learning a lot about some new technologies and stuff in the kitchen that is opening up some doors for me and like keeping me inspired because i mean up until a couple years ago i mean i was still you know smoking meats in a in a you know in a hotel pan you know smoker made out of, you know kind of this rigged up smoker device um, and the technology these days is just amazing. That's you know, these kitchen tools and new technologies to cook with. Um, so a lot of my younger chefs are kind of like, help mold, you know, teaching me about these technologies, which is opening up my cooking a little bit, which is a lot of fun, keeps me inspired. Um, but, um, you know, to answer your question about the inspirations, it's it's cultures. I go through phases where um, Like, for instance, when we were opening our stores in um, our restaurants in Charleston, uh, I was researching low country cuisine and the history um, of low country and the slave culture. And, yes, you know, how a lot of that stuff came from West Africa, which led me down this rabbit hole uh-huh. uh, where I was just like gobbling up everything I could learn about West African culture and cuisine and farming techniques and all that kind of stuff. And I started cooking with a lot of like field peas and rice and you know, all these kind of like um, you know, chilies and things that we didn't have around here um, and, and that. And I go through phases like that, um, you know, so like for for a year and a half, it was like everything had this kind of West African vibe going on as I was exploring that. Um, and then it just kind of changes over time. So I just get inspired by whatever cultural things going on that I'm interested in. And I just I go for it. Awesome. That's how I connect with stuff that's yeah i mean how cool is that to keep
1: i mean it is experimentation too and mm-hmm. and you'll apply a certain style to your cooking mm-hmm. but then a new inspiration will maybe turn that on its head and you're going to totally adapt your style to a new culture or cuisine i mean god totally see it never gets boring it's a constantly no. evolving quest to to excel and to dazzle the public with your creations and to mm-hmm. inspire the people that work under you and to keep everything elevated and to stay relevant in one of the most competitive businesses out there. I can't think of anything more exciting. That's that's terrific. It, it
0: is super exciting. It's it never cool. gets old. That's for yeah. sure. All
1: right. So your group, your restaurant group is literally creating careers, not just jobs in the industry. And that is yes. such a Um, such a strong approach to this business, because like I said earlier, this traditionally has been a high turnover business where people come and go. And my success came from building what I call the dream team staff. And that was a certain leadership style that I had and recognition and rewards and constantly nurturing and developing my people. And, and, you know, everybody works for a paycheck, right? But people mm-hmm. really work for knowing that they're contributing to something greater than themselves and that they feel that the f- they fit there and there's a chemistry amongst that team and that people are recognized for their achievements. And those achievements and those ideas that they bring to the table are actually encouraged and I believe that's the difference between management and leadership. You know, managers delegate and tell people what to do, and true leaders inspire and nurture and develop and give people room to fail and recognize and reward great achievement. And that's what keeps the staff and longevity versus turnover. And obviously you guys are at the forefront of doing that so let's talk about let's start with the labor shortage and why yeah. restaurants have been hardest hit in this in this whole labor crisis because all industries are struggling with finding great people restaurant industry perhaps more so and then let's sort of Flip that and figure out why your restaurant group is a hundred percent staffed right now. You're recruiting with no challenges whatsoever, and your restaurants have taken on a really unique approach that is sort of the crux of where we're going with this. So take take
0: us there. All right. So I don't have all the answers. First off, um, I, I I don't I don't know exactly why our industry has been the hardest hit. Um, I do know that you know our industry is made up with a lot of different people on different, different um, kind of parts of the path of their career, right? We have some people that are just kind of, you know, it's their their first job or, or you know, their job while they're in school, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, we have some career people, we got, you know, managers and chefs that are dedicated to hospitality and have that gene that they can't shake. And so this is their, this is gene. their yeah this is their calling yeah Um, and then everybody in between and you know to have the entire industry shut down um, and everybody out of work yeah um, and most of them not taken care of very well um, through that whole unemployment process a lot of people bailed they just said hey man this is not this isn't a safe industry or safe career for me yes Um, and so we lost a huge portion um, of our workforce that way. Devastating. So, yeah. And, and um, so I think that's the biggest thing, okay. I think. right. I would agree. Um, yep. I think our industry has been broken for forever. I think that the labor force model has been broken. Um, the back of the house versus front of the house kind of pay scale situation. Um, the fact that our margins are so tight it really limits our ability to for for to spend labor dollars. We mm-hmm. have to be very that careful is. about you know that equation, mm-hmm. and so um, you know during the pandemic while we were closed, uh, Patrick, Alejandro, and I all moved into um, a house together. This five bedroom house, all the it was actually on um, Isle of Palms in in, um, in Charleston, which is one of the barrier is- islands. Um, I actually had to sell my farm. I opened an organic farm wow. with my um, fiance that yeah. we were, we were, you know, um, supplying organic produce um, to the restaurants. I had to close that because of the pandemic and sell the land. Wow, um, It was just like, yeah, I mean, we were wow. just, I, we, we were all restaurant rich and cash poor. We've got these great, you know, restaurants and stuff and, and um, things going on and, and cash flow. But, um, yep. you know, as soon as everything closed, that all came to a halt. We are like, oh. Get everything you
1: need for your operation with Smithfield Culinary. Their extensive portfolio lets you serve up a wide variety of proteins to keep your patrons happy. Choose from Smokin' Fast, which lets you add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Or browse their margarita offerings, encompassing everything you need for pizza toppings, plus a variety of specialty Italian meats like capicola, prosciutto, and salami. Finally, serve what you love with Smithfield, which includes everything from bacon to hot dogs to deli meats and so much more. For the products and solutions to keep your operation running strong, visit smithfieldculinary.com. How long did that last? And was that state required closure for a certain period of time? And then it got back sort of slowly. Did you have to pivot multiple times? Tell us about your pivots and what actually happened to your group during that time? I think there's still key learnings there because restaurants are still continuing to pivot with the labor crisis with, okay, I got some government bailout money. I've spent all that. It's like, Business is booming. I can't staff my restaurant. I gotta close several days a week, even though and I'm losing revenue because I can't be open seven days. You know, it's there's all these right. challenges yes. right now. So yeah, oh, yeah, tell us about tell us about okay. what happened. So to you guys. so
0: yeah, so so anyways, um the uh the uh you know the vacation rental market went out the window. <laughs> so we got this great lease on this house on exactly. Isle cool. Palm. We all moved in together. That was yeah. like our our bunker, our home base. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we started really looking at what was going on. We're watching the news all the time, trying to figure out how we were going to survive this. Um, the benefit that we had was having um, a church and union and um, restaurants in multiple States. So we had North Carolina, South Carolina, and we were working on the Nashville market. We were actually under construction here at that point. Um, so each state had different, things going on um, south care it, it lasted for about a year that we were that was just under a year i think that we were closed in, in yeah. charleston um, charlotte was closed for a year because uh, it was very conservative a lot of banking uptown like i mean banks are just still coming back mm-hmm. in full force now so like uptown charlotte was was a ghost town so we didn't even really think about that we were trying to do takeout and things like that like most people did um but charleston actually had a little bit looser um, restrictions and stuff so we were able to do a little bit more there which really helped carry us through this i mean if we weren't doing a little more business in in charleston we would have really suffered Um, we did open tempest at the um at the very beginning of the openings so that was in first quarter like first quarter 2020 I think that's right or 2021 I don't know my dates are all messed up but like that march yes. we opened um tempest and it was very slow i mean we had already built it i mean we were on the tail end of of building yeah. this thing out when the pandemic yeah, yeah. happened gotcha uh, yep. so
1: you know, it got no point turning we back, just, you're committed, full speed yeah. ahead, no, no other choice. But
0: yeah, yeah, we're like, we just gotta open the doors and hope yep. for the best. Yep. Um, and that was an epic challenge. I mean, we <laughs> if we don't if we did not have the team that we have today, we would be we would just be so far up the creek. Um, but everybody put their their focus into that. Um luckily we didn't have to juggle what was going on in Charlotte. Um, you know, how do we how do we keep our staff employed here? Why do not we do all that? Um, so we could focus on getting Tempest off the ground, which is right. which is what we did. Man. Um, Charleston slowly started to open. Um, business was not great, uh, but there was some cash flow, which allowed us to kind of, you know, pay some people. We did get the PPP funds, which without we would be belly up. I was in the same situation. Yep. No, no question. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had not passed those bills, we would be done. Yeah. Um, so we we you know we got by the skin of our teeth. We kind of were able to navigate all that. And I got to give Patrick credit for that. I mean, he it was just all over the bank accounts, the like money that we had, either you know the cash flow when we closed to yeah, you know, just yeah, to, you had to be. I mean, you had yeah. to have a
1: you had to have a you know, pinpoint accuracy as to what your losses were and what your decrease Mm -hmm. in revenues were. You had to be first in line to press the go button when all these programs were starting to get rolled out. You had to fill out the applications. You had to be accurate about that, timely about that. And you had to be ahead of what's the next thing coming because a lot of people heard about this stuff coming, but they were late to the plate and they didn't get the money. And it's like, that was my situation. Yeah, you know there were so many different programs happening simultaneously, and it's like I committed myself to diving into all of that and making sure that. So yeah, it sounds like Patrick did the very same thing, and yes, yeah, hundred percent. Wow, and
0: I got to give him credit, man, because like, yeah, and and I think that's a lot of why there was so many losses, like restaurant losses, because you know a lot of these chef-driven places, you know, if the chefs are not business savvy, correct, they're not. Yeah. You know, they're not all over their numbers and their bank accounts and overwhelming, and, and, really. Yeah, it's too. It's, I'm all about the team, like, you got to have a team of people. Um, and because you can't have your eye on everything all, at all, all times, and um, yeah, so, anyways, we were, we were able to secure that. Um, mm-hmm. and and that really helped, helped us bring staff on. You know, we were paying people abbreviated pay because we had to make it last. Um, that was another thing that we did is we um, we we had to ration it out. We said, okay, fine, if this is all the money we have, um, and Charlotte is closed, and you know we're only bringing in you know some leave-ins every week in Charleston, you know, we got to make this money last for a year, right? This could be a this could take a year for us to to, to correct. Get back to you had Full no Street. idea. Yep. No clue, and so we really rationed it out. We we were open with our teams. We said, "Hey guys, this this is what we can afford to do. You know, uh, we don't want to lose you, but this is the best we can do. And if 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 you know, if that works for you guys, like, come on, we'll find something to do. We'll we'll we'll, we'll make food for um, for um, school lunches. We'll do like whatever we have to do. We'll we'll, we'll put ourselves to work. Um, and uh, and that was really the, the key to kind of getting through it. That's an awesome story
1: too. Yeah. Now let's talk about tip the kitchen because that's yeah. sort of at the heart of what your current success with staffing and morale and team building is really all about. And it sort of yep. addresses the the traditional maybe disparities in pay in, in an industry that has long affected, like you said, of the inability to pay people necessarily what they're really worth or to maintain margins you know, all that stuff is, is affected. Sure. So tell us about the program. What was the brainchild for that program? Um, what did you learn along the way? Is it refined? Are you still tweaking it? Just take us through the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think it obviously it all stemmed from the pandemic. I mean, the worst day of our lives was, was having to let go of our staff. Yeah, I you know hear. we, we, we had to do it for their own good. Like we needed to, we had to make them, um, eligible for, uh, you know, for the, for some, um, unemployment and stuff like that. So we had sure. to do it, but I mean, that's something I never have done and, and would don't ever want to do again. <laughs> Who um, does? Yeah. and so, you know, I think, you know, I have always felt undervalued, um, underpaid, um, You know, I've always made less than my counterparts, either on the front of the house or whatever. Um, I think Patrick identified that. I think he realized that there was this, you know, kind of frustration, this underlying, um, you know, discrepancy and fairness uh, between what the front of the house servers who, you know, um, work a lot less than maybe the the back of the house staff. I don't I don't want to say they work less hard because I mean being a front house, like I you know they, they work hard. I mean working every, with the yeah public, every restaurant it, job is hard and demanding
1: hard. and challenging. But the kitchen works under what some would say would be more challenging conditions, extreme heat. And you're on your feet for long shifts under extreme heat and burning oils and all sorts of hazards that the
0: front of house doesn't have to deal with, you know? Yep. Yep. Totally. And, um, and so, um, yeah, and and they make quite a bit less and they don't get tipped. And so, um, you know, so I think the, the, the idea was, and with, you know, understanding that the industry is not a safe um, industry for um, career growth, right? Ha- you know, an industry that can disappear in the blink of an eye is gonna be um, scary for people to really invest their energy and time into. So we needed to find a way to A, pay our people more. They, the you know, back of the house employees need to, to, to make a livable wage. They have to be able to put food on the table, have have transportation, you know, enjoy their life. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we all doing here? Like, you know, you have to be able to to enjoy it. Um, and, you know, worrying about whether your job's going to be there tomorrow, worrying about whether or not you're going to make enough to, you know, take care of your kids, you know, send them to, to summer camp, or whatever. Like we just right. we, yeah. we realized that we were part of the problem. You know, sure. we were part of this problem where we you know, we had these numbers, these labor percentages that we had to hit. And as a result, like we were underpaying our staff, you know, there's no other way to, to, to spell it out. And so we dedicated to change that. We said, we got to find a way to even this out. Um, and so Pat started looking at a lot of different models. Um, you know, how do we, um, you know, do we raise prices? We can't do that. Can't raise prices because now we have to raise our prices across the menu, in an industry that's already suffering. So now we're alienating even a bigger population of our our clientele by raising our prices. I you know, know, we want to keep our concepts available to everybody. Yes. We want everybody yes. to be able to come and enjoy it.
1: And so and value is a huge part of that equation. You know, hundred percent. And and it's not the guess responsibility or issue of what uh, a company's financial situation is. They simply want right. value for money and to be provided with service and a great experience. Totally. hundred yeah.
0: percent. so there was that equation. So we said, okay, can't raise prices. So that's not, that's not the option. We can't just pay them more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the idea of tip the kitchen um, was, was born. And how do we make that happen? And right. that was a long road. I mean, there was a lot of legal things we had to look at, um, there's a lot of labor laws. You can't, um, you know, you, you really can't share um, the tips from traditionally tipped employees with traditionally non-tipped employees. That's that's, that's a right. big no-no. Yep. Um, we, we learned. We so we had to really dive in and 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 break down the cover all your bases. Figure out how it worked, and um, so we decided to give this tip the kitchen a try. It works amazingly. We've raised let's see, over $1.6 million for our teams on top of their pay uh, since we started Tip to Kitchen back last April. So just over a year, $1.6 million. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The way it works is this. There's a couple rules. One, it's voluntary. Okay. You don't have to do it. It's not mandatory. It's not a service charge. It's, 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 if you're, Experience is worthy. We we ask you to consider leaving something for the back of the house.
1: Is that how it's communicated? And is yep. it on a guest check? Do the servers talk about it? Tell us about the communication to it's, the guest.
0: It's printed on the menu. It's actually oh. at the bottom of the menu. Yep. It says gotcha. tip the kitchen. Boom. Here's how it works. Nice. Um, and then we we urge the um, we urge the staff mm-hmm. to explain it. Um, they do not sell it. Right. They are they are they are trained not to sell this tip to kids. that we don't want people to feel guilted into leaving yes. money. it's completely it optional. Be, sure, it has to be completely optional, or mm-hmm. else it doesn't work. Okay. Um, you know, we're not asking for handouts. We're asking. We're asking that if, if we if we do a great job, consider it. Okay. So that's the first rule. Um, the second rule is that um, that we match. So the ownership group, we match up to $500 per day for the back of the house um, per uh, per day. Okay, in each so restaurant, right? Each of your restaurants restaurant. does that, yeah. Yep, each restaurant. Gotcha. So let's say in, in Charleston, uh, they they get um, $200 in kitchen tips. We throw in 200, it's 400, and the back of the house splits it evenly. Um, everybody par- participates, sous chefs, line cooks, dishwashers, everybody.
1: So let me ask you a question. That is an awesome concept, but there is still, and I'm not saying this is in your restaurant group, but let's just take any restaurant. There are, There, there is sometimes a disparity between the contributions that people make and their work ethic and the reliability mm-hmm. and their challenges. Now, if that were ever to occur in your restaurants or in any restaurant that is thinking of adopting this, is is there any adjustment made for A players versus B
0: minus players versus C players? No, no. Our team, okay. nope. If they're on our team, we're hoping they're uh, they're at least a B.
1: <laughs> okay. We're, we're no, tra- well, there we're you go. Well, that's
0: yeah. It's it's and you know what? And actually, it helps the team kind of self-regulate. You know what I mean? Like yes, the team doesn't want slackers on their team, right? You know, it so it elevates to- everything. It helps them hold each other accountable. I love that. You know, if okay. people aren't working, they're like, Bro, you're on you're on the you and
1: know, you're making you an equal share of this. You gotta step up your game, buddy.
0: Yes, sir. So there's okay. this um there's this self awesome. self you know, regular-
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind yeah. of interesting how that worked. That is very interesting. And yeah. that's that's a cultural thing too. But mm-hmm. it's it's up leveling the whole um, you know, the whole operation. That's that's very cool. Keep going. Yeah. This is very interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that's the second rule. Um, third is there's a stopgap. So the stopgap is to, um, you know, one thing that, that, that we thought about early on and that Pat kind of devised this stopgap for was, um, we didn't want the front of the house employees to feel that they were being penalized by us adding a tip line to the check, right? So now they have to share their tips with the back of the house. Um, so what we do is what we call the stopgap. And that is um, if a guest splits a check, right? They do, uh, they split their tip. Half goes to the front, the server, half goes to the back of the house. So a standard
1: percentage you're saying, like if it's a 20 or 25% tip or whatever it is, some people may choose to 50, 50, the front of house versus the back of house. Correct.
0: Then what we will do is we will elevate the front of the house's Uh percentage to 21%. Okay. Okay. So over 20. Yes. So if they were left an 18% tip on their own, they actually do better by sharing with the back of the house because we elevate it to 21%. I understand. Okay. Yes. So there's a lot of cost involved in this and a lot of math involved on our end back of the house, kind of administrative end and in a a, a financial investment on our part for this to work. Yeah. Um, But we can talk about that in a minute because we've done all the analysts on that tracking and we, we've, we, we see that it's really not. We're, we're not. It's not really elevating our operational cost much. About one percent, we think. Um, so, but we, we can talk that's, about that in a minute.
1: That's incredible. How long has the
0: program been going, Jamie? So we. It's been um, a let's see. So about fourteen months, I think. So just a year and a few months. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it. You've. I think something that i heard uh, about this elevates um people's earnings by say 15k a year which is extraordinary oh, yeah. in this business yeah, this right? is, is, back that, the is house that
0: realistic point. yeah back oh in yeah the house, right. that's to- totally i mean wow. there are some line cooks and sous chefs that mm-hmm. are making as much as i made my first year as an executive chef this is it's awesome. bananas it's totally bananas and 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 i'm super proud of that i mean yeah. that's You know, that is um, what I wasn't paying myself much, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was also, you know, I was also a partner and looking out for the business. Um, But um, the fact that these, you know, entry level um, hospitality positions can earn a wage that affords them, you know, a livable wage is is just something we're super proud of.
1: Um, Man, what a pioneering effort this is.
0: Yeah, it's been, it hasn't been easy. <laughs> um, and also getting people to believe it has been hard. You know, I'm yeah. um, getting employees to believe it, getting um, uh, potential um, uh, people applying for work to believe that it's real. You know, it, it almost, they're like, they're like, is this, like, I don't believe it. Like an owner's like taking care of the people. I'm like, no, no, this is like a real thing. We actually talk to our staff, yes. do, do a stage, you know, go spend, do a working interview, talk with the people see how much they're making, see if they like working here, like, you know, get in there and and check it out, interview them.
1: So is that leading to increased applications? And now you've got a pool of people and, and, and literally the longevity means you don't have a lot of openings that you're creating because you've got a hundred percent retention and you're, you're continuing to elevate the people that are there. And you've got a big pool to, Pull from if you lose somebody for whatever reason. Is
0: that what's going on? Yeah.
1: No. I mean, there's word on the street though about this? It must be right.
0: Yeah. There's there's a little bit of word on the street. So we do get people, you know, calling the restaurant directly and saying, "Hey, you know, yeah. I, I want to hear more about this. You know, I want an opportunity." Um, we know it's there's not a ton of that. Surprisingly enough, I mean, we're still getting. We're using a lot of the the regular um, avenues that people use. You know, Indeed and yeah. um, Facebook and all these different things. Um, so I don't think our pool is particularly bigger than anybody else, um, but we do have an advantage. Um, and I think that's Clearly. what's really helping us. Yeah, this yeah. is definitely helping us.
1: Let's talk about the reaction of the guest when you first rolled out this initiative. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing that it's overwhelmingly positive now. People are understanding. People are very supportive of this. And yeah. they're, they're just... If they're a fan of your restaurants and your group, then they're, they're on board with this. But when you first rolled it out, because it is sort of a, a foreign concept that is extremely mm-hmm. rare, but I do see it being a model for the future and you're, you're leading the way on that. But what was the initial reaction and how did that go?
0: It was mixed. I mean, we, okay. like you said, um, you know, people who knew us as a group or were you know, familiar with our, our brand and what we do, um, we're all supportive. They were all, all about it. Yeah, we did absolutely. get a lot of, of kind of kickback from some people. Why don't you just pay your people more? Why do we have to do it? They don't understand. Um, why don't you just raise your, yeah, raise your prices? All this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, which we anticipated. We, we kind of figured that would happen. Um, you know, not everybody is a hospitalitarian. <laughs> you know, um, some people, they want they want their stuff. They want it now. They want it cheap. Yeah. Wow. Those aren't the people that no. we are catering our business nope. to. No, nope.
1: no, no, that's true. And and obviously when you build that kind of reputation, it's like, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. That's part of your mission statement, right? And that's communicated yep. to the team. And it's like, everyone stands behind that unifying voice And yep. you're, and your loyal regulars, your guests, even first-time visitors that jump on board will stay loyal. And it must've yep. led to interesting online reviews too, right? What are you seeing in in social media? What are you seeing on TripAdvisor and Yelp about this? It must have popped up and it must be a continual thing.
0: Are you seeing that that's overwhelmingly positive also? It's definitely overwhelmingly positive for sure. Most people are, you know, the people that actually take the time to read, you know, how it works Mm -hmm. um, that we actually match whatever they put down. So it's, you know, they're actually, they're getting a discount. On their, um, on their tipping, right? Like, if you, we're, we're going to match it. So your, your dollar goes twice as far. That's, that's right? a
1: beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think people that actually read it and uh-huh. think about it and get behind it are like, hell yeah, this is great. Like, look at you guys taking care of your people. Like, that is a model that we need that everybody should kind of be looking at, right? How do we take care of people better so that they work harder in an environment that they're proud of? Like, you get better productivity. Like, it, it's just... It's overwhelmingly positive for most people. We still get the people that, you know, have a snarky comment or, you know, why should we have to pay your employees kind of thing. Um, and, and we just, you know, we just, we swipe it away. We, you know, not everybody's going to get it. They don't understand how it works. Exactly. Um, and, hmm. and I bet if any of them, you know, took a moment to ask our staff how it affects their lives, it might change their, their perspective. Wow. You know.
1: Well, you know, it's gotta be no. I'm I'm absolutely convinced and positive that the morale of your team absolutely translates to the guest experience.
0: Totally. In a 100%. positive way.
1: You know what I mean? And it took it does. Yeah.
0: And because and they're also it gives them some um responsibility. You know, it gives them um the like control right like like if, if we if we all focus today if we if we put out the best food we put out ever, we can earn more today right It gives them this like they they're engaged in a way that they weren't um, before right It's like oh I make X amount of an hour so like this is this is how much effort I'll put in uh, so so they're connected to um, their their potential earnings in a way uh, that, that gets them engaged. The team works amazingly together now like, to me, when I when we first launched it, I would say maybe in the first month, right, as we were still rolling it out, we had problems with the accounting of it, like trying to figure out how to move the money from the tip line to the to the guests and do to it legally.
1: House. Sure, like you mentioned, yeah, all that like, stuff.
0: Yeah, we had some you know, roadblocks and issues that yeah. we had to sort out. Um, so you know, the first few weeks were a little little jumbled, uh, but once we got it working um, and and smoothed out and consistently, you know, started building and building and then the staff receiving the funds. I mean, the kitchen, like walking into the kitchen was like being in a, in a, an alien place. I was like, what's going on here? Like, you know, like, why is there like, you know, people like, come on. Hey, thank you, chef. It's good to see you. I'm like, really? Okay, cool. Like I'm into that. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the morale is, is great. The team is, is motivated for the most part. Um, you know, you'll always have your, your issues on, on that front but but yeah the morale is is awesome and and honestly the morale between the front and the back of the house is awesome too like uh-huh. they are a team right um the servers realize that share, like having that extra tip line doesn't hurt them it potentially helps them
1: right right but right? you're right it opens up the lines of communication and mm-hmm. i mean i know from experience that there is sometimes a challenge between front and back of house and there are yep. certain front of house people that are intimidated to talk to the back of house when something goes wrong on the floor in the heat of mm-hmm. battle. And, yep. and now it's like it levels the playing field and it puts everybody yep. in literally the same mission moving forward to work together as a team. Like you say, this, this yep. is really, really incredible because it's covering so many different bases at the same time mm-hmm. and, and working wonders for your operation.
0: This is we believe it's a total game changer. Yes. And uh, yeah, wow. it, we, we believe that's it's the killer. future. Yeah, it's, I we believe that. it's the future for I hospitality. Do. For I, sure. I do see
1: that, you know, and all it takes is one restaurant group to move on to other groups and other independent restaurants. And they find a way to follow your model. And to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to up level hospitality across the board.
0: Well, let me tell you what that. we've done. Yeah. So um, so Pat started a, uh, a Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. for tip the kitchen i think it's um at tip underscore the kitchen on um twitter and we literally laid out all the entire program um i mean it's i gotta put that in the
1: show notes to this episode yeah please i know this audience is like hanging on every word because it's intriguing (laughs) it's compelling it's like you said it's the next logical solution to this labor challenge i mean Yeah. Yeah. So I want to share this every way possible. So in addition to your social media channels that we also put in show notes and people listening, I think that Twitter handle is very explanational. And I want to definitely drive people to that. But keep going. If there's more, please.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So on that Twitter feed, I mean, it literally lays out, um, you know, the rules, how, how we, you know, the kind of the ethos of tip, the kitchen, yes. um, you know, how we actually employ it, the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally the spreadsheets are on there. We've posted the wow. numbers, like it is all there for anybody who's interested. And, um, you know, we incredible. don't want this to be a proprietary proprietor, you know, proprietary, um, thing we want. Uh, we really believe that for our industry to, improve, to get healthier, to be, you know, for sustainability, this is a model that can really help get us there.
1: It's a model, but it's also a movement. You know, Mm -hmm. you guys are on the ground floor of like disrupting and turning the entire business model of restaurants and hospitality upside down for the better. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm seeing. I'm getting it as an, as a former operator with so much experience that, wow, I never. I mean, I had some of the issues we talked about, and we had our own ways of dealing with it, but not to this extent. But not yeah. to have this kind of long-lasting impact, you know. It has
0: a lot of like, um, has, you know, the 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 positive impact kind of like balloons out, right? Like, yeah. you know, the the initial the initial plan was like, we need to level the the the, uh, the disparity in the pay between front and back of the house. Like that was the initial thought, right? We need this to become We we need our back of the house staff to make a livable wage. Like that was plain and simple the start. Yeah. But all of the other positive things that have come out of this, I mean the the camaraderie and morale in the back of the house, the productivity has gone up like through the roof. Like our productivity is I mean, I don't I can't imagine it's probably in the high seventy percentile, which is I don't know if anybody knows that's a good that's a good productivity, you know? Yeah, Um, for sure um let's see what else um uh yeah there's just like the quality of the product that we're putting out is amazing the the inspiration of the team i mean the chefs the chefs themselves are creating more interesting food i mean the the quality of our food is through the roof um you know that that the connection between the front and the back of the house kind of like healing that kind of divide has been a game changer that we didn't expect. uh, We hoped for, but like, you know, who who knew how, how it would go. Um, And then, um, you know, our retention, I mean, people just don't, they don't quit. Like people are enjoying their jobs. They're, they're more positive. They're happy to be there, which speaks to your point that um, you're not everybody's there for a paycheck. Like a lot of people, they're making good money, Yes, But they like where they work and they take pride in it. And that's, that is a huge motivator for people.
1: Well, that's the difference that we talked about earlier. It's not a job now. It's a career. There is mm-hmm. upward mobility. There is recognition. There is appreciation. There is opportunity. And you might even move people around amongst your restaurant group if somebody oh, wants do. to move to Charleston or Nashville or Denver, whatever. You're creating opportunities oh, yeah. for your great people to keep going in this business
0: yeah i mean our goal our our understanding of this is that Mm -hmm. if we if we are not profitable and if we don't expand our operations this movement won't take hold like we have to be the ones to grow it um as other restaurants kind of see that it's working and see our our um you know our expansion they'll say hey maybe we'll adopt this but we we believe that like you know opening in denver you know um another restaurant in nashville we've got coming on the way Um, As we open these and implement this tool, it's just going to start, you know, ballooning it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, And so staying profitable, keep moving forward, Mm -hmm. keep, you know, um, growing our our operation is going to help this thing kind of really take hold.
1: Fantastic. So let's wrap this up by saying we've covered so much important ground here and i was hanging on every word and i know this is a really big episode for our audience what would be your best advice to operators that have been through the pandemic they're still standing maybe by by a thread they survived you know and they're still going they've been beaten up really badly and they got to rediscover that pride and the passion that you clearly exemplify with your and your partners, of course. What's your best advice to people just to keep going because better days are ahead. This is one possible solution to the labor crisis. But moving forward, you're in this business for a reason. What would you say to those people?
0: I mean, I would, you know, my, the thing I would say is that this is the hospitality business and not the restaurant business. You know, if, if, you, if you went into this business to make millions, man, like mm-hmm. cash out and do something else. Uh, we're in this business for people. So put people before profits, um, you know, focus on the hospitality and, and you'll make it. You know, look out for your people and they'll look out for you.
1: Awesome. Thanks for sharing all your insights, yeah, your expertise, this business model, this just everything that was so inspiring about this episode. Thank you so much, Jamie, for being with us. That was the
0: yeah. Go ahead. go ahead. Thanks. Thanks for having me and, and sharing our story. We really appreciate it.
1: No, wow, I appreciate you being a great guest. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks audience for tuning in. We hope you all stay well and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, Jamie, for being a great guest. I'm so inspired by your company's philosophy on creating careers, not jobs. And we learned so much in this episode, and it's no wonder why other restaurant groups are reaching out to you to figure out what you're doing, because there's definitely magic happening in your restaurants. And you know, I was really pleasantly surprised, because I was at a food show um, a week or so ago down in Charlotte, and I was just wandering the downtown area. What a beautiful city it is. And I stumbled across one of your concepts, La Belle Helene. Now, I had a plane to catch. It was about 10 in the morning, you open for lunch at 11. I so wish I had the opportunity to experience it, but I had to take a photo through the window because the ambiance just drew me right in. It was so, you know, beautiful, and I just so wanted to be part of that experience. So when I come back to Charlotte, I'm definitely going to try La Belle Helene and possibly some of your other concepts. Thanks so much for that. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, The Birthday Club, and Serve, the restaurant training app. Can't wait to see you all next time. Don't miss our next episode.
2: Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well-trained that they're executing flawlessly. Your front-of-house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences. While your back-of-house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time, and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety and it is a powerful, mobile training system, custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills, maximize your profits, and create experiences guests will rave about. Picture this. Before the doors open for business, Susan, one of your managers, is assigning Serve training to Paul, your new bartender. Using the app, he will learn both food and beverage ingredients, allergens, romance notes, and pairings. She shows Paul how to use Serve's interactive study tools to become a master of the menu and how to use the cocktail database to easily find specs to make any drink. He can't wait to hit the floor and sees how Serve will unlock his hidden sales potential. Susan will be able to track his training progress and test his performance. I've got this. Paul says. Next, Susan just uploaded a brand new appetizer to the Serve menu using the admin dashboard. Using Serve's menu profit tools, she's determined that this new dish will have a major positive impact on the restaurant's bottom line if the team is able to sell it. So she makes it a priority sale item and gets your front of house team on board to suggest it throughout the night. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, Steve, your line cook, pulls out his phone and uses serve to see prep notes on the new appetizer offering. Wow, he says, here are all the ingredients, the cooking steps, and a photo of the plate presentation. This makes it so easy to learn this dish. Sally, your server, returns to her table with drinks and says, may I now suggest you start with our new signature appetizer? It's the perfect complement to the chef's fantastic lobster special tonight that pairs wonderfully with a bottle of Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. That sounds wonderful, the guest says. We can't wait to try it. Sally learned these suggestive sales by studying pairings on serve. Serve also allows you to up-level your management team with a comprehensive restaurant academy that includes efficiencies, inventory management, cost controls and maximizing profit, menu engineering, proven marketing solutions, and more. SERV includes everything needed to develop your managers into rising stars in your operation. As the leader of your organization, you take pride in continuing to up-level your operation and your team. You know that by investing in your people, jobs become careers, and everyone in your team feels empowered to perform at their best. As you can see, the possibilities with Serve are endless. Serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn, the more your restaurant will earn. It's Serve, and it's a game changer. Ready to Serve? Get started at srvnow.com.